for sticking around for this final act <laughs> of the afternoon. Uh, Kathy Woods is here. And um, we were just talking backstage. I haven't seen you since pre-pandemic, at least in person. That's right. And so much has happened yeah. to you and to ARC during this period. It has been a remarkable ride. And just to put it in perspective, um, you started ARC in 2014. Dare I say, uh, you were 57 years old at the time. You don't look any older now. But uh, she had no assets under management. Today, at age 65, uh, she's at the peak, I would argue, of your career, but I hope there's more to come. Um, and you're managing something on the order of $85 billion, In that which range. is a pretty remarkable, a pretty remarkable thing. Um, she has been called on social media, and I hope this isn't considered uh, sexist or something else, Mama Kathy, they call you Aunt Kathy. And then in South Korea, they call you Money Tree, <laughs> which I love. Um, and this is what Art Laffer, who you used to work with, said about you. The thing that's amazing about Kathy, even back then when you were working, when he was working with you, her horizon is forever. She wasn't in it for next week or next month or next year. She was in it for the long haul. Yes. And so I want to start with this before we even get into what's going on in the markets today. Mm -hmm. And it's just an investment sort of horizon thesis question. When you think about the quote unquote horizon, for your fund and the way that investors who invest in your fund should also think about that horizon. What is it? Well, in, in, ter in terms of our investment time horizon, five years. So we have to believe that uh, one of the technologies, uh, the 14 technologies around which we have based all of our research is going to inflect within five years or at least be discounted in the market, start to be discounted in the market as though it is about to inflect. So five-year investment time horizon, our minimum hurdle rate of return uh, is 15% at a compound annual rate over five years. And so I think that uh, that combination of five years plus exponential growth trajectories is what is finally starting to get into the market. I've been waiting for years. I know you've been waiting for years. So uh, to put this in perspective, the fund um, over the last two years is up about 164%, give or take. Year to date, it's down a little over 3% at a time. We all know the S&P uh, 500 so far is up a little over 18% this year thus far. So put it in perspective, where are we in this market given your five-year horizon? Uh, I, I believe we are seeing, it's going to be incredibly confusing, I think, to people. Just look at what's happened to the bond market this year. You know, against all expectations, yields have dropped from, uh, I think it was 1.75 at the peak in March down to 1.3 as inflation expectations are exploding, right? Uh, we believe the reason for that is that we're probably when all is said and done and the dust clears from the supply chain problems and everything, we're probably in a highly deflationary world. And we see three sources of deflation. Uh, one is very good. It's, it's called technologically enabled innovation. Artificial intelligence training costs are dropping 68% per year. Right. When something, when a cost drops that much, uh, the demand for it picks up. And artificial intelligence is probably the biggest reason we're seeing 
the convergences between and among technologies. So we've got one S-curve feeding another, feeding another. Explosive energy, incredible deflation. That's the first deflation. While the rest of the world thinks, I mean, if you were here for part of the day, everybody's talking about inflation. Oh, and that's what I love. You know, if, it's, if, if, if the whole world thinks that's going to happen, and, and, and a portfolio manager and analyst team thinks that's gonna happen. Well, if we're wrong, it's not gonna matter that much, right? Because nobody's expecting it, it's not in the market. But if we're right, the returns are enormous. And I think that's, that's what's going on with uh, the technologically enabled innovation that we see, especially in healthcare, by the way. But there are two other sources of deflation. Uh, Disruptive innovation, there's another side to it. It's called creative destruction. And I think we're going to see uh, more creative destruction than we have in all history during the next five to 10 years. Now, you can say, oh, you're just talking your book. We have rights law uh, teaching us about learning curves and cost declines that suggest we are going to see incredible booms out there in parts of the world, but it's gonna mean tremendous destruction in others. So when I say confusing, I mean that. And then the third source of deflation, I think will be cyclical deflation. Most people are fighting us on this one. It's hard to fight us given our research on those other two, but this, this cyclical deflation, it started with lumber, uh, $1,711 in May, now we're at $500. Copper, 490, I think now we're at 425. Uh, used car prices are surprisingly good. And I know I'm getting, we're getting pushed back on this one too. Uh, they shot up 60% as everybody decided to avoid mass transit last year, right? right? And, uh, and now we find ourselves supposedly in a chip shortage. I don't believe, I do believe in the chip shortage. That, because you believe I, there's a chip shortage. I do believe I'm there's hoping. a chip okay. shortage because the world's going digital. But I, I believe- but Wouldn't that be inflationary? Uh, well, I believe ch chips are the new commodities. That's the point I'm making here. So uh, chips are going to be what uh, Dr. Copper has been in the industrial world. This is Dr. Uh, uh, this is Dr. Digital, I don't know, uh, in the form of chips. But you hear the auto industry screaming, you know, auto sales have dropped from 18 and a half million units in April to 13 million. Now these are annualized rates in August. That's more than a chips shortage. What happened last year is people bought the cars, they're in their driveways, garages, didn't want to take tra to mass transit, and now, there's a decision, what do I want to buy? A gas powered car or an electric vehicle? Well, that's where the short supply is. And I think the excess supply is going to be in the gas powered side. So this is a really important test case of, of why I formed the firm when, when, when we did. Uh, I, think, I think the disruption is happening to the auto industry now. Um, I want to get into Tesla, obviously, and a number of your picks in just a moment. But I, I do want to just note Morgan Stanley, Citigroup, Deutsche Bank, Bank of America, these are all firms that have published notes within the past month, uh, effectively saying the opposite. Um, most of them believe that we are expecting to have inflation and I think across the board either pullbacks or much flatter returns. Right. You, you just think they're off. You think they're wrong. I, I think, as I said, if you're looking at the traditional benchmarks, 
they may very well be right. All I know is when we are looking at the, the transformative growth that's going to take place in our space, and we're completely devoted to nothing else but right. disruptive innovation, we see explosive growth. I think one of the reasons they will look right in terms of GDP is uh, if the other side of, of disruptive innovation is creative destruction, well, what's happening? It's the industrial world evolving into the digital world as more of the physical world goes digital, right. transportation importantly, right? Uh, and so the traditional benchmarks, GDP, the statistics that we look like are, are probably gonna look pretty lousy at times, I would say. Uh, certainly sector by sector as these transformations take place. What do you think the role of millennials and the next generation will be? And I, I ask this because I've seen you make comments about demographics, mm -hmm. both in terms of the role that millennials play in terms of the actual economy, but also the role that they may play in the markets themselves. Because yes. a lot of people look at what's happened over the last 18 months in this new generation that's now in retail, often in your fund, on Robinhood, on Reddit, and think something has changed. Some people think it's tulips, other people think it's forever. Mm -hmm. um, well, I, we just learned from uh, jo Jolene Caruso that millennials are 70 million strong in our economy and now bigger than the baby boomers uh, as a, a dem demographic. And um, I'm going to hearken back to Stan Salvigson um, most of you won't remember who he was. Uh, uh, he made one very important call in the uh, early 80s. He said, baby boomers are going to be the reason that the equity market goes up for the next 20 years. It was a brilliant call. He's no longer with us. I, we're in the echo now. And I do believe that both crypto and uh, the equity markets are going to be powered by millennials. In fact, um, Tom Lee at Fundstrat, yep. yeah, he, he has done the arithmetic the way that Stan did. And I think he says this bull market will not end at least until 2026 and maybe not until 2038 when the yep. number of millennials peaks out there. Well, I went through it in the 80s and 90s and, you know, nobody believed him, thought it was a ridiculously simple call. But when you look back in history, it was a pretty good call. Okay, I want to get into meme stocks and that whole phenomenon in just a minute, but I want to I want to touch on a couple of your big investments and also touch on one other theme, which is China, because it's in the news. Mm -hmm. uh, you have been uh, thinking about that space or that that region in a big way, or that country, I should say, in, in a big way. Um, and I know you reduced some positions, but what what's your overall thesis at this point on China? and what we're seeing in terms of this regulatory crackdown, which seems to be worse every single day? Yeah, um, I, I think there's something going on there socially uh, that the government is very worried about. Many of the same things that the rest of the world is worried about, whether it's the divide between the rich and the poor. Um, uh, I saw today Evergrande, there are, there are protests around the Evergrande offices because the wealth management products that weren't highly regulated are, are not paying interest or not paying back and so forth. So I think there's social unrest taking place there. And that's why common prosperity has become the rallying cry and hostage to capital has also become a, a rallying cry. 
so I don't think it's a, a very friendly place for capital now. However, uh, focused only on innovation, China uh, has, in its various five-year plans, made innovation an incredibly important uh, plank. Right. And uh, so we don't want to avoid it, but what we do want to avoid is um, very high margin companies. So you look at JD Logistics or JD.com, some, some of the, the companies that are pushing um, innovation and access into tier two and tier three cities uh, will play with that. So what we did in the series of moves recently around China, we have taken our position right. down significantly, but stayed with a few of what the, the low margin. What would it take for your returns uh, to invest need, more? They, what would you need to see? What would I need to see? Uh, I, I think it would be Xi Jinping uh, saying, you know, whoops, we made a mistake. We're open for business. I don't think he'll do that. Uh, so I don't think we'll be hugely involved with China. The other thing that I think is, and we've seen this in the crypto space, uh, by shutting open source movements down, which is what they're doing. Right. Open source, all open source movements, no. Um, I think this is going to give the U.S. a competitive advantage. So we have allocated more of our innovation assets here in the U.S. because of what's happened. China was going to be one of our biggest competitors. We saw them in the AI space making the league tables in, right. in chips. I'm not so sure. I, I think they have to do some um, uh, house cleaning uh, right now that we probably do not understand all the causes, but I think there's social unrest. That would be my guess. And you think, I, let me ask this, do you think that the regulatory environment there is either going to open up opportunity in the U.S. or will it give and embolden regulators in the U.S. To shut it out? To shut down what's happening here. Because it used to be that the big tech companies in the United States would say, well, no, 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 you can't, you can't shut us down because look over there in China. Those right. companies are so big, we need to compete with them. But, but if they're yeah. being shut down or cracked down upon, yeah. will it just embolden Washington here? It's a good point, but I uh, I think this is much more than China. Um, as Rupal on the last uh, panel said, uh, you know, France is becoming very innovative, right. you know, and Southeast Asia has, has stolen the march from China. So companies like C, it's a social media, social commerce, gaming company, it's it's exploding throughout the world, and 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 capital is shifting towards that kind of name, uh, because there are big populations in Southeast Asia and Latin America as well. Okay, can we talk about our favorite topic? Tesla. Yeah, okay. let's talk about it. Um, and we have sparred over the years. I love Tesla. I've never loved the valuation of Tesla, and you have loved Tesla and the valuation of Tesla, and you've liked the valuation even at much higher levels. And I have always thought, as you know, that that's crazy and you have been right. So here we are. <laughs> um, you still believe that this is a company, still believe, uh, that the valuation long term is $3,000. That's your price. That's our base case. Not that's even, your base case. Yeah, that's not even our bull case. But let's just stick with the base case from $700. $3,000 by when? Five years. Always five years. Always five years. Mm -hmm. You recently sold some last week. Right, yes. about a hundred, uh, about one hundred eighty million dollars. I, I read that it was one hundred thirty million. So you, you, it got okay. So much press. Oh, I'm sorry, one hundred eighty thousand shares yeah. at one hundred thirty million dollars. Right. Why did you do that? So Tesla is still the largest position in our portfolios on that particular day, and I can tell you this because we disclose our holdings every day and we publish our trades every day. 
on that, I'm always looking for cash in especially the flagship fund, which is very concentrated and, and involves all of our technologies. So uh, a company in the automation space, space UiPath, was down 11% that day on its earnings release. Um, and uh, Tesla had just gone up 30%. So it was really a tactical move. So just to give you a sense, Tesla is a 10 point, I believe it's 10.5% position in the flagship fund. The next highest uh, position is I think 5.9%. So the conviction, this was, I will take a trade up 30%, down 10%. That's like a 40% difference. That's all that was. But this is not a stock, I mean, at least recently, that has been on the move higher. In fact, it's been flat to down. So no, it's actually, if you look at it, it has been it has been levitating. It has. It got into the 500s. It got it got well below 500, I believe, in the. Uh, but I assume, therefore, but it must have crossed 10 percent a while ago. Meaning, meaning you must have been much higher. So, after it. so when a stock moves from. 10%. We can no longer buy, and thank you, I, I want to address this because we keep getting questions about it. We cannot buy a stock if it is 10% or higher in the portfolio. We can sell, of course. Uh, we do not have to sell. And what we usually do, this is not science, uh, very unpredictable, so you know, this is, you, you can't replicate this in terms of trying to figure out what we're going to do. But when a stock gets to 11 or 12% in the portfolio, it means that, or that means it has appreciated by 10 to 20% relative to the other positions in the portfolio. And usually what we're doing is being opportunistic and taking advantage of a, a, a drop in a stock. Again, need the cash, largest position above 10%. Okay, let me ask Does you. Does that Jeremy. make that? No, no, it, it makes sense. I know there will be there will be bulls and bears on this. Um, let me ask you a different question, though, and it's really about how to assess and think about some of the comments, projections, and other things that Elon Musk makes mm -hmm. about the company, mm -hmm. and how how you interpret them, and how the public interprets them, and frankly, how bears interpret them. Mm -hmm. Which is to say that there's a lot of times where Elon will come out and say something, whether it be about robo taxis or uh, when there'll be uh, full autonomous driving or all sorts of things that I imagine at some point, because we've had these conversations in the past, do get baked in or should be getting baked in to some kind of assessment mm -hmm. of the stock. Mm -hmm. And as optimistic as you can very well be about all of those things, mm -hmm. they haven't come true. And so how do, how do you grapple with that? Uh, this is one of the hardest problems uh, that we are going to solve technologically. Uh, so actually in the last uh, three months, we have increased our projection for autonomous taxi networks. Now in the $3,000 base case, uh, we uh, assign a 50% probability to autonomous. So it's a really hard problem. But if anyone is going to solve it, our confidence that Tesla is that right. company has gone up dramatically as but, we've learned more But I guess when I ask it, you, when Elon says that robo taxis by the end of 2020, when you project, what, what, 
numbers would you therefore have put in in 2000, I think 19 when he said that, or 18 when he was saying that? Yeah, again, five years. Uh, oh, I know. Our, our, okay. our probability but, last year, when, when or whenever right. he said that, was lower. I think we had a 25 percent probability. So you, so, okay, so do you do you discount what he says by what what by what number? That's he, what. He, Elon, a, Elon, if you really look at what he's doing at SpaceX and at Tesla, he's changing our world. Oh, right? you're not going to so get me to disagree with that. I think vehicles, it's simply about the valuation and he, how investors should think about these he numbers. He was the first person when I, when we were talking about autonomous net, net, uh, taxi networks, he said the last mile is going to be so hard. I'm not sure it can be done. This was about five years ago, right. maybe, maybe longer. Uh, the resources that he's putting into this program and the talent that he's attracting, and the advancements that he's making, uh, and, and that are possible now, that artificial uh, intelligence training costs are dropping by 68% per year, uh, we think the probability of autonomous is going up. I don't disagree, but does it frustrate you? No, I, he's, a, he's a visionary, and you know, he, want, he, he sees the future so clearly, Right. The fact that he changed from saying last mile, I don't think that's going to, there'll have to be some combination system. He changed from that with his partner, Andre Karpathy, right. who is one of the most brilliant artificial intelligence engineers. Uh, I, I think this is going to happen in the next few years. He is always a year or two or three too early. We adjust for that in our forecasts. What do you think about the prospect that one of Oh, the, and by the way, may yeah. I say one other Please. thing? One of the reasons Elon does that is he wants to get the supply chain in motion. And when the supply chain does not cooperate, he brings it in. He's becoming much more vertically integrated. So auto suppliers and technology companies know that if they don't march to his drum right. and at his cadence, instead of these four to five year design cycles, they're not. They're going to lose the business. A lot of short sellers have lost a lot of money betting against Elon, mm -hmm. as you know. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that a lot of short sellers will tell you that they missed was not actually the technology or anything else per se, but was the scale and ability to go back to the market over and over again to get more and more capital. Mm -hmm. That that the scale of the capital unto itself that could become almost a self-fulfilling prophecy if if there were people out there willing to impart their capital to you over and over again. Mm -hmm. How much of that is in your thesis? Uh, well, what, the way we would frame that is we, we believed that Tesla had four barriers to entry and all but one have increased uh, in, uh, in the last few years. So they have, they have the artificial intelligence chip, they have the best battery technology, costs lower and will be lower for the next three to five years. They have the most data to do the right. training and find corner cases. And then the last one, which I would have thought they would have lost already, uh, is over-the-air software updates. I haven't had to take my Model 3 in since 2018. They have the best cars on the road. So your base case is 3,000. What's your best case scenario? The, the best case is uh, about 4,000 because we will never go to, uh, we won't go to 100% in that autonomous, but let me give you the dynamics there. Uh, if you had asked me last year, I would have told you that the autonomous taxi network opportunity 
uh, in the year 2030 would be a six to seven trillion dollar revenue opportunity. Uh, we have in the last year raised that to 10 to 12 trillion. And it is because before we had been modeling uh, as though the cost would drop to where, where they should given competition, which is 25 cents per mile. Right now it costs us 70 cents per mile to drive our own cars. Uh, we are learning, and it's through Uber and ride-sharing services, that convenience matters a lot and not having to drive matters a lot. And so our price for the robo-taxi service has gone up from 25, I think we're up to, it's either 50 or, or, or a dollar per mile. Okay, new topic, our other favorite topic. You know what it's gonna be? Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Five years from now, what's it worth? If, if we're right and uh, companies continue divers to diversify their cash into something like Bitcoin and uh, institutions, institutional investors start allocating 5% of their funds towards, uh, uh, I'll just say Bitcoin for right now, because we did that, we framed it for Bitcoin, could be for other cryptos as well. Um, we believe that the, the price uh, will be tenfold of where it is today. So instead of 45,000, over 500,000. If you could own Bitcoin, Ethereum, or some other crypto, uh, currency, and you can only own one, which would it be? Uh, that, that is becoming a harder and harder uh, question to answer. I think I default still to, to, to Bitcoin because countries are now deeming it legal tender, and we haven't right. even put that into our uh, thinking. Ether, however, um, is seeing an explosion in developer activity, right. thanks to NFTs and DeFi. I'm, I'm fascinated with what's going on in DeFi, which is collapsing the cost of the infrastructure for financial services in a way that I know that the traditional financial industry does not appreciate right now. So uh, it does have to move from proof of work to proof of stake. That transition is underway and seems to be taking hold. Uh, so our, uh, here's how I'll answer that question. Our, our uh, confidence in Ether has gone up dramatically as we've seen the beginning of this trans uh, transition from proof right. of work to proof of stake. We'd still probably do 60% uh, Bitcoin and 40% Ether. For all of that to happen, do regulators, especially US regulators, need to buy into this in a major way? I would also say that we just saw it in the last week, uh, Brian Armstrong runs Coinbase, you have a stake in Coinbase, mm -hmm. has now gotten into a somewhat bitter feud yes. with the SEC over how uh, the ability to offer effectively a yield product mm -hmm. uh, on some of these cryptocurrencies, specifically yeah. Bitcoin, mm -hmm. will work. Yes. Uh, I, I think regulators, our working assumption from the beginning um, was that, and, and this was based on meeting with them, meeting regulators, both state and local and federal, was that no regulator wanted to be blamed from preventing the next big technology breakthrough to happen in the US. Uh, and that has proven true. Now we've got um, Chairman uh, Gary Gensler. I'm really happy he understands crypto and understands the merits of Bitcoin in particular. 
Uh, he is a regulator though, and he is a hardcore regulator. What Coinbase did, I mean, I was shocked when I saw Wells Notice, are you kidding? They haven't even released the product. Like, what is this? And I think what that Wells Notice is doing, it's, it's a, a call out by regulators saying, we gotta discuss this stuff because this is happening very quickly. And I think we are going to bring um, courts into the system. This happened in Canada. Uh, a company called 3IQ sued uh, the regulator there uh, and won in court. So they were able to issue Bitcoin ETFs and, and closed-end funds and Ether as well. So I am beginning to think that Coinbase doesn't mind this at all. And if you saw the stock reaction, it hardly budged, right? right? Um, we're going to have to wrap up in just a minute, but I, I do want to talk to you a little bit about the social media-enabled phenomenon that is happening uh, about, it, and it's impacted your fund, and it's impacted the interest in all of this, Diamond Hands and the like. Mm -hmm. What do you make of that? And also, how do you think about your own responsibility in the context of one of the things you do, which is so interesting, is you are transparent in terms of what you're doing every single day. People see what you're doing. There's also people that are there, therefore trading off of what you're doing mm -hmm. and how you think about that. I'll start with the, the later one. Was the first one about meme stocks or was it Yeah, it, was a little, it wasn't really a question, but it was in the context of just thinking about what's happening here. Uh -huh. and, and all of uh, the, the whole sort of new generation that seems to be talking about these stocks, um, some saying things that are factual, some th saying things that are not factual, some saying that they uh, want to have less regulation so that they can do more. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, okay. it's a very different world it's than it was post-financial crisis where everybody said that the job of the financial industry was to protect, if you will, the little guy, the little investor. And now I think the little guy is saying, don't protect me. And in fact, by protecting me, you're not protecting me at all because what you're really doing is protecting the suit, the big guy. I, I think it was on your show this morning, wasn't it, that uh, Robin Hood's uh, yes. legal counsel said something like that? Yeah. That's really insulting to these people that you are going to protect them, right? right? Okay, that was that was pretty interesting. And, and um, so I'll, I'll first talk about the trading around what we do. Um, I have been managing money since 1990, so for 31 years. And I've always had um, other, other investors or speculators shooting against us because guess what? Even when I was managing separately managed accounts for wirehouses, I would be posting models. That word would get out there what we were doing. When we posted our models out there, it would get out and lo and behold, these stocks would take off. So I've been I've been managing with that in mind for years and years. And so we don't have to buy a stock. If someone wants to take it up 20% the day after we buy and we haven't finished our buy, I'll finish it another time because I know disruptive innovation is inherently controversial and we'll get another shot. In terms of what's going on now, I mean, I so admire the millennial generation. Yeah, as you say, I'm sure there are people trading just because their friends are trading but the, the hunger for knowledge that they have and the gratitude to us for the kind of research that we put out, the depth of our research, uh, you know, our tweets, our analysts are all tweeting. Um, we have to be, we, we, we're on the right side of regulation. We know what we're doing there. We have someone from the SEC who, who became our CCO. Um, so 
their hunger for, in, in, for in, information and their gratitude it has been extremely humbling in a way. You know, we get right. a lot of people coming up to us and, and thanking us for that because we've opened their eyes to a new world. Let me give you a, give you a bit of a difference. When my children were in high school or uh, and college, I was trying to teach them about the stock market. I was trying to get their interest. Nada. You know, it's almost like crypto had to happen. That got them interested. And to the extent they were looking at our research around crypto and others, they're, they're, they're educating themselves and they love education. It's one of our mission and values. So, uh, you know, we meant to do that not because we knew this was going to happen, but because we want parents and grandparents to un and, and the children themselves to understand how rapidly the world is about to change and to get your children, grandchildren, yourselves on the right side of change, whether it's investing or your education or your career. Okay, a couple quickies. Do you own any NFTs? I do not, but I gave one as a birthday present to uh, Sig Sigalis, uh, Chief Investment Officer at, um, at Jenison Associates. He turned 88, and he thinks it's the best present he's ever gotten. Angie Dalton, I don't know if you know her, from Sigmund Capital Growth, and I did. We split it. And his grandchildren now uh, get to do layers of art on top of his digital art. Do you think there's a bubble in, in NFTs? I, I, well, you know, when I saw this original $69 million piece, I thought, okay, this has gone too far too fast. Um, you know, we're now talking about the creative world. And when I heard about Async Art, I don't know if you've heard of that company. Async Art um, has developed a digital ecosystem where artists can uh, put out their digital art and then, and then anyone can buy pieces, pixels, right. and change it. And so you can do layers and the original artist gets paid. I was walking when I heard the CEO tell his story and my smile went ear to ear because I said, oh man, this is gonna be so explosive. Uh, this is how I felt when the internet first came about, like, oh man, this could be really big. Remember when everybody said, what's the internet? You know, I had the same feeling here because you know, creators, you know, they don't get paid for, right. you know, every iteration, so. Robinhood, you own a stake? You also we own... do, it's a 1% position, yeah. What do you think, long term? Uh, again, we're, we're into the millennial generation. Pay, uh, pay, pay payment for order pay, flow. Payment for order flow. I'd be shocked if it goes away. I agree with the general counsel because it has been so good for zero commission trading and so forth. And, and you can look at the spreads and you can analyze exactly who's taking what or what, how big the pie is. Right. And I, I honestly don't think, I'm, I'm glad it's a discussion because it keeps coming up. Let's get some uh, regulators uh, making the final decision. We're out of time. Oh. Kathy Wood, everybody. Thank you. Andrew Sorkin. Thank you.